0: This series is about the basics. And we've, we've looked at simple mathematics, and we've looked at the five signs for mathematics, and, and we've looked at how the, there are spiritual truths that correspond with those simple mathematics signs. For instance, if you were here the first week of our series, we learned that God adds. Anytime you have an exchange with God on his terms, you're always going to leave with more than you came with. It's God's nature to add. He can't help himself. When you open Genesis chapter 1, you have blank canvas. By the end of chapter 1, you have a world. It is God's nature to add. Anytime you have an exchange with God on his terms, you will always leave with more than you came with. And what a week to celebrate that. As I shared with you several times in the series, not definitely to be sacrilegious, but it is interesting that Jesus died on a plus sign. It's as if God wanted the world to know, for all time, he adds. In week 2, you remember the old line from the Godfather, "It's not business. it's, it's not personal, it's just business. But what we learned in week two is, it is personal. If you have loss in your life, it's because Satan subtracts. And in that message, we realize that evil is not an impersonal force, it's a person. Not not a co-equal person to God. Satan is not God's counterpart, he's just God's enemy. And he's your enemy. When Jesus described him in John chapter 10, in the 10th verse, he called him the thief. And he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's certainly true in your life and my life. Satan wants to take from you it's interesting to me ironic that Satan always comes with a plus sign he always comes in temptation promising you to give you something but he's a scam artist and he always takes in the third week I preached my favorite sermon in this series and it is simply this anytime you take something that you seem to own and you give it to God he, you have the opportunity to grow by multiplication he multiplies it and as we saw in that service He not only is able to multiply quantity, that's something that we like. If we give something to God, he gives back more to us, like he did with the kid with the sack lunch of five loaves and two fish, and he fed 20,000 people, and there were 12 baskets of leftover. That's quantity multiplication. We like it. But I promise you, when I walk away from this series, as I think about it in years to come, God willing, my favorite point of the whole series is going to be from multiplication, that God cannot just multiply quantity he can also multiply quality he can turn water to wine he can change something from from one essence to another essence and i need that in my life i mean how many here today need god to turn water to wine in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids and where i need it the most i need god to turn water to wine in my life i I want mark to be a different person i always pray, pray to god a prayer that goes something like this dear god i'd like to grow up before i die And so, you know, I I need God to help to change me. And so I keep thinking about, well, you know, I need to put myself in his hands completely. And if I do that, he can't just, he doesn't just multiply quantity, he can multiply quality. And then last week, what a quirky message. We had the division sign and we understood that division, God gave us division, so that we can organize life and make it functional. So that we would not treat treat the most precious commodities of life, such as time, resources, talent, focus, Treat them like lump sums because we saw last weekend if we treat God's most precious commodities in our life like lump sums, we'll waste and we'll run out and not see it coming. But as soon as I put the mathematics sign up today, you're going to know what the talk is about. The moment I put up the equal sign, you're going to know this is about relationships. This is about other human beings and the knowledge that all of us are equal. And that's what the Bible does say in the book of Acts chapter 10, verse 34. It's just one of the many verses that communicates this thought. The Bible says God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God to be ready to do as he says, the door is open. So I love that. It, It makes no difference to God who you are, where you're from, how much money you made, what your background is, how you grew up what race you are, what socioeconomic status that you particular hold, particularly hold. God, God plays no favorites. And then in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, just a simple statement, God treats everyone the same. And we live in a culture where we, we declare that everybody's equal, but wouldn't you just agree with me that we're having trouble? Especially in this social media age, in the Internet age, in which people are able to express their feelings and then have it go out to the public consumption wouldn't you agree with me that there's some ugliness in our culture that makes us question whether or not we truly believe all people are equal? I, hate, I, I love the Little League World Series last year. I had a great time watching it. How many of you like me watch Monet Davis pitch? The little girl, the little 13-year-old girl from, from Philadelphia. I mean, she's the, only, she's the first little girl to throw a no-hitter in the, in the Little League World Series. And in the back of my mind, I could still see her on the mound treating every pitch so seriously. I could see that look. And I'm not surprised that Disney decided they're going to do a biopic on Monet Davis. But here's the thing. Some college kid baseball player somewhere, you know, what is it about tweeting where people, it's almost like they rant or it's like the more outrageous thing they say, the more attention they get. Some kid was decrying Monet Davis pitching in the Little League and having the movie made about her, and he called her a slut. I mean, a 13, an innocent little 13-year-old girl. And he got kicked off the baseball team as well as he should. And it's interesting that Monet Davis sent a message to the school asking the school to forgive him and to reinstate him. And it's just been a few weeks ago down at the University of Oklahoma that some frat boys were doing a chant. And in their chant, they were saying that no African American could ever be part of their fraternity. And then they started chanting about lynching. I want to say, in 21st century America, at a university, something's wrong with us. Something's, and, and here's the thing, and I, and I don't want to go on a rant myself, but here's what happens when one of these things, when, when one of these awful things is said. That person will come out and apologize and say, I made a mistake. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not a mistake. A mistake is leaving the milk out overnight. That's a mistake. That's e- what, what we're seeing is evil. And Jesus was real clear about it. He said, what's in the heart will come out. He said, from the heart, the mouth speaks. Or if Jesus were speaking today, I'm not trying to be cute, but he might say, the finger tweeted. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not a mistake there's something really flawed, there's something really broken in the hearts of people today. And here's the thing, it's one thing for us to say that we're all equal, that all of God's creation is equal, it's something else to really mean it, to feel it. When I started off our talk today by saying all people are equal, could be that you're thinking about an American document, the Declaration of Independence. And in the Declaration of Independence there is a statement, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. But did you, if you've ever read the Declaration of Independence, you know that it isn't long before you get out of that beautiful language that what you're, what you're reading in the Declaration of Independence is an indictment against King George. And the Founding Fathers were laying out a case why we would separate from England and be willing and necessary to go to war. So basically they were writing all their grievances out against King George. Well, some of the Founding Fathers thought that one of the grievances they could have included in the Declaration of Independence was that King George had fostered slavery in the colonies. But the problem was some of the founding fathers actually owned slaves. And so they determined they would leave that line out. You see what I'm saying? In the very very document that says all men are created equal, they couldn't put in a line about slavery because there were actually founding fathers who owned slaves. So I just laid that out so that you will understand it's one thing for us to say oh yeah we believe everybody is equally worthy in God's sight it's something else to feel it I know us nobody here would treat nobody here would, would tweet such a reprehensible comment about Monet Davis none of us would be part of a chant that would be like that wretched thing that was chanted down in Oklahoma but I do think we ought to take an honest look at ourselves this morning You know, we ought to just unscrew the halos for a little bit. Put them under your seat or in your purse or in your wallet for a few minutes. Just just take the halo off. And I want to ask you a question. Can you remember a time? And the answer to this, by the way, is going to be yes. Can you remember a time when you felt superior? Just just in a situation, can you remember a situation where you felt superior? It could have been real simple. (laughs) You could have been in a meeting where you were. And you look around the table and you say, You don't say it i think i'm the smartest person here (laughs) or it could be he's like i think i'm the best looking person here i've never had that experience but some of you may may have had that or i believe i got the best clothes i I believe i have the best clothes here or i believe i've got the best ride here or it it could be a lot more serious it could be that you were in a part of town and you say i I felt, I would never want to live here. I mean, my house costs a lot more than the houses in this neighborhood. And the school district my kids are in is a better school district than this one. Or God forbid, it could be a racial thing. Or it could be a socioeconomic thing. It's like, you know, um, my education has put me in a place where I make a lot more money than the pe- these people was there ever a moment, and there was, but can you think of a moment where you felt superior? Now, here's the thing. I think it's just human nature. We're broken, we're flawed human beings. We discuss it all the time at New Spring. This is not a place to wear halos in case you came in for the first time. We, we talk pretty honestly about ourselves. And the fact of the matter is, it's just our broken human nature to feel superior, no matter who we are. And here is the thing that's really important for all of us. And, and if you don't catch anything else today, catch this one thing. If you can self-correct, then you're very blessed. My, my child rearing days are just about gone. My, my youngest son graduates from college in a few weeks and he gets married a few weeks after that. So Mary Alice and I are gonna be empty nesters. And we really enjoyed rearing our three boys. But let me just tell you one of the things that I wanted to see with our, with our sons more than anything else. I wanted to see them have a self-corrective mechanism. Because I knew they were gonna think wrong just like their dad does. From time to time, they were going to get wrong thoughts in their head. But the thing I celebrate the most, other than their relationship with Christ, the thing I celebrate the most in my boys is when I see them correct themselves. For a brief moment, they think wrong, and then you see that correction take over. And I believe our Heavenly Father wants the same thing from you and me. I mean, from time to time, we're going to have that fleeting feeling of, I think I'm better here, but I hope we have that self-corrective mechanism that says, wait a minute, no, I'm not. Half the world's population lives on less than $2.25 a day. But even if we were among them today, we need to realize we're not better because we have more. Well, here's what goes wrong. If we don't have that self-correcting mechanism, when we have that fleeting moment of superiority, then bad things are going to happen, and let me give you the order they're going to happen. And the first thing is we're going to have a sense of entitlement. Because the moment that we feel superior, if we don't correct that then just walk through the logic of it. If I'm better than you are, then I'm worthy of receiving, I'm entitled to receiving more than you receive. I mean, in our political culture these days, we hear the term elitist. Elitist is someone who feels that because they, they would self-characterize themselves as elitist, but we do, because they feel superior, they feel like they should have a greater sense of, or a greater, greater piece of influence on our culture than the rest of us have. So, entitlement. And if entitlement is not checked, the next thing is disdain. Anytime you see disdain, what you are watching is you're watching a sense of superiority play out. The person felt superior, the person felt entitled, and now that they feel entitled, they feel disdain. Here's the thing. If you see bullying take place, you're seeing somebody who feels superior, entitled, and now, you know, they disdain and bad things will happen. If you see a man abusing a woman, he feels superior, he feels entitled, disdain, and then bad things happen. Even, I mean, even all the way to genocide. If you ever wonder where genocide comes from, I mean, if you look back in the 20th century and look at Adolf Hitler and his feeling that the Aryan race was more valuable than everyone else, well then you have entitlement, and you have disdain and eventually genocide. Well, we need to have a talk. I really believe we need to have a talk about this, this equality thing. But where do we have that talk? You know, recently the, the, the CEO of Starbucks had this brilliant idea. The brilliant idea is that the baristas are going to engage customers at Starbucks in a discussion about race in America. It's called Race Together. But he quickly abandoned it. And I had to be in Texas last week, and I saw why. Uh, Starbucks is great as long as you don't mind $5 a cup coffee. And, and uh, Mary Alice was asked, she, she wanted to stop by Starbucks. And so I went in, and, and when I was at the Starbucks, there was a long queue of cars in the drive through. And then I walked in, and there were a lot of people standing in line. And it hit me why it was a bad idea to discuss anything of great importance at Starbucks because everybody wants to get their cup of coffee and leave. But I'm not sure Starbucks is the place to have that discussion anyway. Because if you want to ask the question about people being equal, then you have to ask it under an umbrella of moral authority. And I'm not sure that Starbucks has an umbrella of moral authority. Let me go a step further. If you take God out of the equation, I think you'd have a real hard time making a case that all people are equal. You know, when our founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, you remember what they wrote. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. And that they are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They, they looked at it as though the equality came from God. And because of our creator, we have these rights based on this God-ordained equality. fact of the matter is, If you back God out of the equation and all you go on is just the evidence that we can see, I really think we can make a pretty compelling case that we're not all equal. We don't have equal intelligence. We don't have equal attractiveness. We don't have, you know, we're not all equally strong. We have different fingerprints. We have DNA that's different. We're different genders. We're different races. We're different sizes and shapes. if, if If God is not part of the discussion, on what would you base the premise that all people are equal? Well, I don't know about you, but I do believe in God, and I believe his word, and I believe, indeed, we are all equal in his sight. And I believe that God has the moral authority under which we can have this discussion. But now that I've opened it up, let's talk about that for a moment. Why are we different? If, God, if we're all equal in God's sight, why are we different? Well, we're different because God has made us with different gift packages. You know, God is very diverse. And he loves to celebrate that diversity in the way he's made us. For instance, some of you here are really good with your hands. I mean, you can make magic happen with your hands. You know, I mean, just give you wood, iron, fabric, I mean, you can create, I mean, if something's broken in your house, you never have to call the electrician or the plumber or, or you know, the you know, carpenter. I mean, you just make magic happen with your hands. See these hands? These hands say, call a professional. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can make with these hands is trouble. <laughs> there are others of you here. You're able to process vast quantities of information, minutia. I mean, you're like, you're like a walking manual. Everybody comes to you and says, oh, what's this particular part number? And you go into this mental warehouse, and you pull it out, and, and people just say, wow, you're amazing. Others of you, you don't like minutia, but you're very intuitive. You can sit in a meeting, and everybody is talking all over and all around the answer. It's just like you, have a, you know what to do. You say, here's what to do, and everybody says, oh, yeah, that's right. You just you have that knack. Some of you are good negotiators, just good with people. You can negotiate a tremendous deal for yourself or for your company. I mean, really negotiate a great deal, and yet the person you negotiated the deal with will walk away and say, She's the greatest gal in the world. Others of you are great, you're very articulate. And 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 you just have a way about you. I mean, you can take something very complicated and put handles on it for everybody else to climb up to reach. I mean you can just make things clear to people. Some of you are great motivators. I mean, You, you, can, you, you, can, you can challenge people and they're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. That's just who you are. It would be kind of fun to go around and talk about that here today. God has made us all different. But herein lies the problem. Because in God's making us different, in His sight, we're all just like he wants us to be. I'm not talking about our flaws and our sins. I'm just saying the person he made us to be, we're like God made us to be. The problem is the world puts a market value on these gifts that God has given us. And if you have a gift that the world tends to prize very highly, then people we are going to look at you, if we're not careful, as being more important than some of us who have a lesser gift in the eyes of the world. For instance, some of you have a gift, and your gift makes $300,000 a year. Others of you have a gift, and your gift costs for $50,000 a year. Now, in God's sight, you're equally precious, but the problem is in our sight. And the worst thing that can happen is if we have some gift of God that makes us stand out, as someone important in the eyes of the world, we can actually begin to feel more entitled and more valuable than somebody else. Let me give you one of the greatest verses in the Bible. (laughs) It's a verse that asks the question, who, what, and why? Listen. For who makes you different from anyone else? Interesting. It doesn't say what makes you different from anyone else. It says who makes you different from anyone else. What do you have? that you did not receive. You say, Mark, I have a great mind. I have the ability to argue effectively. I am a phenomenal lawyer. Well, the world puts a high price tag on you. And, and understandably so from, from a business standpoint. Well, what do you have that you didn't receive? You say, Mark, I'm an entrepreneur. I started a business with nothing and now my business has a hundred employees. And, and, and i just i've worked really what do you have that you did not get from god who makes you different what do you have that you didn't receive and number three and if you received it why do you boast as though you didn't great question see god made us different for three reasons and we'll go through this real quickly. The first reason why God made you different was to bring glory to himself. Now, when you hear a minister use a term like that, you can start to hear organ music and see stained glass. Bring glory to God. Let me, let me just make that practical so that we'll understand it. Look, all of you who are craftspeople, you want whatever you create to reflect positively on you. If you make something, you want people to look at it and say, oh, that's her. I recognize her work. Oh, that, that, that's, in other words, you wouldn't want to make something that would reflect negatively on you where someone would question your craftsmanship. So when we talk about bringing glory to God, God is the ultimate craftsman. The Bible says in Ephesians, we are his workmanship. And so consequently, he wants you and me with our gift package to reflect positively on him. Second reason he gave us the gift package we have. He wants us to change the world. You know what? There are a lot of people in our world today that aren't using their God-given gifts to make the world a better place. And number three, if you're a Christ follower, he gave your gift to you to help build the kingdom. Man, one of the things I love doing here at New Spring in all five of our services is just walking around seeing all the lanyards and the badges from junior high kids and high school kids and adults of all ages. And I just look at these incredibly gifted people with all kinds of skills that God... It takes us 800 volunteers to pull off a weekend here at New Spring. You know what people are doing? They're just taking their God-given gift and building God's kingdom and making the world a better place and reflecting positively on Him. Well, let me just read a verse to you and then close with a story. And here's the verse that we really need to pay attention to. And and, and you know what? I, I can't affect the university where they had the chant. I don't have any influence at University of Oklahoma. I don't have any influence at the school where the kid gave the tweet about Monet Davis and I'm not blaming those institutions for what happened there. I'm just saying I don't have any influence there. My sphere of influence is New Spring Church. For those of you who watch this on the internet, watch this on television. So I want to take a few moments to use the influence that God has gifted me with to talk to you about how we should treat each other. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28, you gotta realize this was written in the first century. We'll contextualize it for ourselves in a moment. The Bible says, in Christ's family, there can be no division between Jew and non Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you're all equal. One more, one more time, among us, you're all equal. That is, we're all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the first century when this was written. And the way it was looked at in those days, if you were a Jewish person, you were up here. If you were a Gentile, you were down here. If you were a free person, you were up here. If you were a slave, you were down here. Believe it or not, if you were male, you were up here. If you were a female, you were down here. In fact, the Jewish man would begin to stay with a prayer that went something like this. I thank you, O God, that I'm not a Gentile or a woman. And that's the way the world was. But from the very beginning, the church was to be a different kind of place. Because in the church, the Bible says it's not male or female, it's not Jew or Gentile, it's not even free and slave. It says we're all equal in God's sight. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? In God's house, that's how it is. Well, as I said, I want to close with that verse and a story. Because Jesus told a story during his earthly ministry. And the preamble to the story tells us who his target audience is. Let me read it to you. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. So we know who Jesus' story is for. It's for people who look down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Now, I don't know if the people... I don't don't even know what the Greek word for, for this for duh is, but I'm guessing... That if the audience responded, they were saying, well, duh. Because Pharisees were the religious elite. They were at the very top of the religious culture. They were the most religious people in Jesus' day, at least outwardly. And so for a Pharisee to go to the temple, it was not an unusual thing. Because they didn't just go to the temple once a week. They didn't just go to the temple every day. They went to the temple three times a day. So, you know, it's like, well, yeah, of course. That's what Pharisees do. Just so that you'll know a little bit about Pharisees and have a little background for why they would have been at the very top of the social strata, religiously speaking. (laughs) The very word Pharisee means separate. They felt that they were so much better than everybody else. They were separate. And uh, too much information probably, but a Pharisee would have to confess in the presence of three other Pharisees two things. Number one, that he tithed on everything he had. And that, that means not just his money, but his possessions. And even, it even got down to their spices. I mean, they were very careful to make sure they gave God a tenth of their salt and their black pepper and cumin. And the thing about it was, when he confessed that, he had to confess that not only had he tithed on everything, he did not associate with anybody who hadn't tithed on everything. So a Pharisee could never go to dinner with a non-Pharisee because, after all, they might not have given a tenth of their sage to God. The second thing that a Pharisee had to confess was that he was completely free from any impurity. Now, we're not talking about moral impurity. This is one of the things that Jesus got off on quite a bit during his ministry. These people were really they were really outwardly you know they were outwardly careful about the ceremonial cleanliness some of you who love to study the bible remember that the pharisees would often rip jesus and his disciples about not washing their hands before they ate it was not a hygiene matter the pharisees went through this ritual before they they would eat very publicly They would take about two eggshells of water, they would hold their hands up like this. They would pour water over the tips of their fingers, let it run down to their elbow, and then they would put their hands down like this and let the water run back to their fingertips. Killed absolutely no germs. It was very impressive. (laughs) They had all this kind of stuff. I mean, they, the, the guy had to confess before three other Pharisees that there was no impurity in his life. I mean, he, he could not touch a dead person. He could not touch a woman who had just given birth. He couldn't touch a woman who was having her period. He couldn't even touch a man who had been with his wife sexually. I could have never been a Pharisee because that's way more information I want to know about anybody. <laughs> so Jesus said to people who felt superior, two people go down to the temple to pray, one was a Pharisee. The other a tax man. Now you gotta I grew up with the King James Version of the Bible. I slipped last night and called him a publican. That's what <laughs> That's what the King James called it. The audience thought I said Republican. I didn't say that. <laughs> the other's a tax man. Now why is that a bad thing? If you work for the IRS, I'm not ripping you here today. I just want you to understand something historically. And I, I'm sure I've told you this before, but but in case I haven't done it for a while, let me tell you this. In the Jewish culture, the lowest thing you could be was a tax collector. Rome ruled the world at that point, and they just wanted to get their taxes. And Rome, Rome had the brilliant idea that maybe people wouldn't feel so bad about paying taxes if they could pay it to one of their own countrymen. So Rome trolled for tax collectors of various nationalities. Well, I don't know how that worked in places like Egypt and Syria and you know, Asia Minor, but I can tell you this. It was not good in Israel because the the Jewish people failed to see the benefit in giving taxes to Rome through one of their own people so that no self-respecting Jewish person would be a tax collector. And so basically the only people left to be tax collectors in the Jewish community were just scum, thugs, just the lowest of the low. In fact, Rome really, all Rome wanted was their cut, and so notoriously these guys were thieves. They would skim. And so for a person to be a tax collector, if, God forbid, your kid was in prison for murder, you would say to yourself in those days, at least he's not a tax collector. (laughs) Really, really, that's true. So Jesus telling his story to people that felt superior. He said two guys go to the temple to pray. One is this Pharisee, duh, and the other is a tax collector really, to the temple to pray. Now, in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, in Jesus' story, Jesus said, the Pharisee posed. Now, that could sound a little bit overly dramatic, but that's a fact. That's exactly what happened. All this took place in the temple at the court of women. And historians would tell us that the Pharisees would get up as close as they could to the actual temple wall. And then, because they wanted to make sure that they didn't defile themselves by getting close to anybody else the pharisees would say like something like this stand back everybody i'm about to pray so you get the picture in your head that's what's going on jesus story pharisee begin to pray let me go back and read the whole thing here two men went to the temple to pray one a pharisee the other tax man the pharisee posed and prayed like this oh god i thank you that i am not like other people You know what? I've pastored a few people like that. There is nobody who is as big a pain in the backside as somebody who thinks they have a God reason for being superior. Thankfully, I haven't pastored anybody like that in a long time, but I've pastored a few. Oh, God, I thank you. I am not like other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week. Well, he's got me beat. And I tithe on all my income. In other words, God, I'm superior and I'm I'm laying down evidence for how, how I'm superior. I love this story. Up by the wall, the Pharisee is posing, telling God how awesome he is. Way back in the back, in the very shadows where he will not be seen. The tax man slumped. And with his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give me mercy. Forgive me a sinner. Jesus commented, The tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. Greek language there is really interesting. It means God tore up the evidence against him. Are you taken by how differently these men saw themselves? Does it strike you how differently the community would have looked at them? And do you think about how differently God saw them? Listen, guys. Before we ever feel superior about anybody else, we need to look at five important facts we pick up from the story we just saw. And this is really important because here's the deal. A lot of you your struggle is not just feeling superior. Your struggle is maybe you feel bad about yourself. Maybe you even hate yourself. It could be you have a hard time forgiving yourself. I could be talking to somebody here who from time to time thinks about ending your life. Well, Wherever you are on that spectrum, between the tax collector and the Pharisee, I want you to think about five things that Jesus teaches us here. And I'll say them personally and you can say them and own them personally yourself. Here's the first one. God made me. When God was making his world, he thought the world needed you. Hey, I'm not just blowing sunshine at you. I don't do that. I'm straight. God made And I'm guessing just about everybody here feels pretty quirky sometimes. And you wonder, am I a mistake? You're not a mistake. God made me. He made you. God loves me. God. Can you say that? God loves me. I have failed God. Whether you want to admit it like the Pharisee or it's overwhelming like the tax collector. I I don't I, I mean, whoever you are, this is an equal thing. God made me. God loves me. I have failed God. God still loves me. And we sing a lot of songs about God loving us. Is what we should. Maybe we need to write some songs about God still loving us. Because a lot of us we get hung up on that third one, and when we think about I felt God, we don't. We either we don't want to admit it because we don't know where it would lead us. We don't. We, if we ever admit it, we wouldn't know where to go. Or maybe that's all we can think about. And it's like we get stuck right there at number three. But don't get stuck at number three because number one, God made me. Number two, God loves me. Number three, failed God. Number four, God still loves me. Number five, that leaves me with a choice. See, the two men in our story, they both had a choice to make. And the Pharisee said, I'm superior. I don't need God. I'm better than other people. And the tax collector said, I'm broken. And I need God to give me the worth that I don't feel like I have. Well, I have just a minute or so left in this talk. And as a person who spent his life pretty much in the Bible, if you tell me I need to come up with a message on how that we're all equal in God's sight, that's going to be pretty hard because there are a lot of verses in Scripture I can pick. There are a lot of alls and whosoever's in the Bible. <laughs> Every time you come across a whosoever, that is God saying, everybody's equal. I mean, like John three sixteen, most well-known verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, that's the equal sign, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So like you can imagine, there are a lot of, I mean, the last significant message of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17, let whoever will, whoever's thirst, let him come drink the water of life freely. I mean, that's the last. When God is signing off the Bible one more time, God would to say, it's all equal, whoever's thirsty, come. But the scripture I picked is my favorite. Because if there ever was a scripture that has alls and whosoever's in it, this is it. It's Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep. Have gone astray. You say Mark. I kind of struggle with even coming to church. Because I've screwed up pretty bad. Put her there partner. So have all the rest of us. All. Even in the balcony. (laughs) All. Even the pastor. Especially the pastor. All we like to see have gone astray. You say, Mark, you just don't understand. I haven't gone, I haven't just gone astray. I'm stubborn. I tend to screw up and lock it in. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So if you feel stubborn, put her there. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is the message of the Bible. And that's why nobody should feel left out and nobody should feel superior. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're all stubborn. We've turned everyone to his own way. And God, this is what we celebrate on Good Friday. God has laid on Jesus the crookedness of us all. I'm a minute into overtime, but some games are won there. So let's talk for a moment. You know what? If you're feeling that you're going to be fine with God because you're superior, could I beg you to lose that? Could I beg you to see that your significance is all in God? God. If your sins have been laid on Jesus, you're never going to get to heaven because you're a good person. We've all gone astray. We've all locked it in. But God has made a way for every one of us to go. Every time you see a cross, you think about the fact that Jesus died there for you. And your sins were placed on him. And if you would come to God as a broken sinner like that tax collector in Jesus' story, do you realize that God would tear up the evidence against you? Wouldn't that be great? Of all those things that make us feel guilty and ashamed, that God would just tear up the evidence? Not because he sweeps things under the rug, it's because it's been paid for. Jesus died for it. Double jeopardy is an idea that came from heaven, not from Greek, Greek law. God is saying he would tear up the evidence. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm two minutes into overtime right now. But if you give me one more, I want to ask you, if you've never invited, I mean, if you, or even if you just say, Mark, I'm not sure. Well, would you be open to praying with me, to ask for God's forgiveness, to reach out to him, just like the guy, the tax collector did at the temple? Let's pray. Would you bow your head with me, please? Everybody pray. You say, Mark, I, I've already done this. Well, then pray for those who are about to. I'm going to pray a prayer, you can repeat it after me it's not the words that matter, it's what you mean in your heart so I'm going to pray it slowly so you can think about it and decide whether or not you want to say this to God Dear God I believe you made me and I believe you love me but I have sinned against you I've stubbornly gone my own way. But I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe you still love me. And since Jesus arose from the grave, I want him to be my savior and king. I choose Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You say, Mark, I just prayed that so quick. I don't have any idea what hit me. I just prayed. We'll have a gift for you. And I know we're crowded today, but please, as congested as we can get, I want you to come get this gift. It won't cost you anything. Nobody will hassle you, stalk you. or want your routing number or anything. All you got to do is bring your talk to us card back to guest services, a big one out in the lobby, a little one back by the coffee shop, and just say, I prayed with Mark. That's all you got to say. And they'll give you this. It's a DVD. A book I wrote that's going to answer a lot of questions. Don't worry, it's not a long book. I have ADD. I couldn't write a long book. But it'll answer a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being here for Simple Math. Next week it's Easter. See you then.